The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Latter-day Lives podcast. My name is Sean Rapier. I am your host. This is episode 25, and what a great episode we have for you. This week's conversation is with Dr. Russ Gady. Now, Russ is just one of those people that makes the world a better place. He is a fascinating guy, an exciting guy, so smart, but he's also just so inspiring. And actually, after after our conversation, he just left me with a lot to think about and uh, just made me want to be a better person. And I so admire Russ and just thank him for for coming. And I know you're going to love uh, hearing his story as well. And then this week in my Latter-day life, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the lights of Times Square and one light that in particular shone just a little bit brighter than the others. So great show this week. Thank you again for joining us. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And I am thrilled to have today in the studio as my guest, Dr. Russ Gady. Russ, how are you? Great. How are you doing today? Oh, so fantastic. I got to say, Russ, I am so excited. I got to do a little bit of homework uh, <laughs> studying about your life. And it's, uh, well, Russ and I have known each other for a while, but this is, uh, this is really, I learned a lot about you and this was exciting. So, um, we're going to get into a, a little bit of your life. Dr. Russ. A lot of people call you Dr. Russ, right? They do. A lot easier than trying to pronounce my last name, Gady. Gady. And it's yep. uh, G-A-E-D-E? Yes. Yeah. Russ Gady. Fantastic. So, Russ, why don't you take us all the way back to the early days? Where are you from? San Jose, California, about yes. two miles from you. Growing you got up. that right. Yeah. <laughs> We were very, very close to each other growing up. We grew up in a lot of the same same hood there, so that's awesome. Went to church in the same building, but different wards. Yeah, the old Kirk and Noreen building, huh? That's right. Yeah, that was awesome times. Oh, the memories. So, so how, how long did you live in San Jose? I was born and raised in the same home and left from my mission from that home and went back home after that. And Isn't that amazing? So a lot of things happened after that before my parents even left that. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't San Jose a great place to grow up. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. I it just was a lot different than it is now though. <laughs> wow. I've gotten to go back on business and on on pleasure a couple of times now and and it's it's unrecognizable. Uh it is. My mother-in-law still lives there, so we go out there quite a bit. Yeah. And I take my bike out there. I'm a cyclist. Oh, yeah. And so a year or two ago, took my bike out there for Christmas. And rode the the old neighborhood, That's rode so to Kirk and Noreen, rode all <laughs> over San Jose. It was fabulous. Yeah, it was fun. We went back. I took my sisters, and okay. we went back on a trip. I took them as a Christmas present, and it was the first time in the Kirk and Noreen building at, at our old ward, which I think our wards have combined now. I think so. I think so. And so uh, so basically, we went to, to the sacrament meeting there. Boy, talk about memories. It's fun to go back, right? <laughs> it is. That's awesome. So you grew up. Tell us a little bit about your family. Well, I, I grew up, mom, dad, two brothers. Mm -hmm. and Where do you fit in with your brothers? I am the youngest. Yeah. I am the baby of the Bringing family. Bringing it up from the back there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, once they got to perfection, why continue? <laughs> <laughs> I got to remember that. That's a good one. That is a really good one. Um, okay, so you grew up the youngest. What were you into? Tell us a little bit about your younger life. Younger life, I really enjoyed running. Yeah. But then I started having severe knee problems. Yeah. Had double knee surgery and wasn't able to walk or run much for a long time. These leg issues were a big, big part of your life from what I've read. They do. They go back to birth. When I was born, my shin bones curved in. Yeah. And so I walked kind of pigeon-toed. Mm. And so in the... 
I forget which grade it was, but uh, sixth grade or below, I was in leg braces at night, every night. Mm, wow. And so I slept with my the, my heels connected. Really? Forcing my toes out, which wasn't the most comfortable thing because <laughs> yeah. I'm very comfortable pigeon-toed. Yeah. Even to this day, I can turn my feet in. Really? I can. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't hurt. Huh. I can't do it out, but I can So do were it the in. braces supposed to be corrective or were they just to provide support? They were corrective yeah. and they did work. Mm. I was, because I used to trip over my feet. After that, I've been able to walk straight and have no problems. And now I've been able to get back into running to a certain degree. Wow. And so I, I still run. I'm, I'm more of a cyclist now. Yeah. Does does all of that affect cycling too? No, it doesn't. Mm. The other reason why I enjoy cycling is I have Tourette, yeah. which is neurological disorder causing motor tics and verbal tics. Yeah. Now, what everyone thinks of when they think of Tourette's is the swearing. That's what people think of. It's the swearing disease. <laughs> I know. It's actually nicknamed the swearing disease. Oh, is it really? It I didn't is. know that. <laughs> Truth of the matter is, only about 10% of those with Tourette's actually have that component. Oh, I did not know that. Yes. that they So that they swear or that they don't control generally what they say? That they swear. That they swear. So yes. 10% swear. Everybody that has Tourette's, it requires a vocal tick and a motor tick. Okay. And a vocal tick may be something as simple as a sniffle of the nose. Okay. Um, mine is hay. And oh, really? It is. I yell, hey. In fact, uh, the other day I was preparing to present, preparing my notes for a, pres a speech, and I yelled, hey. My wife stuck her head around the corner and said, <laughs> was that your tretch where the cat's being naughty? <laughs> that time the cats were being naughty. But. Yeah. So when were you diagnosed with Tourette's? I was actually diagnosed by history. Because you're supposed to have the diagnosis prior to 18. And by about mid, late, uh, early 20s, oh, really? That a late? lot of people tend to start losing oh. the, the motor tics and the vocal tics. Mine over the years have actually increased. It's, now, how rare is that? I, I don't know. I've never looked mm. into that. I just live with it. Yeah. But I was diagnosed late 20s mid mid 20s so you didn't you didn't exhibit married. any of this stuff when you oh, were I a did. kid or a teenager oh you did, did but you just were never diagnosed that's right really russ yep that is fascinating yep. no one did you ever have home. anyone point out to you like hey you keep yelling hey i didn't yell hey okay. but yes i had people point out that i would twitch my arm before i wrote anything oh and i would do the sniffles with my nose interesting and you and just wrote it off as a tick? I, I, it was written off as knock it off. Stop doing <laughs> Stop that. Stop doing that. I'm like, doing what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, and ticks travel. Yeah. I've had different ticks throughout my life. I still do my sniffle. I do a lot of eye, eye blinking and facial scrunching. Hmm. But where this comes into running is I do kind of a stomach roll. Oh, wow. And if you've ever tried to run and do a stomach roll, you do a stutter step, and there goes your stride. Oh, really? And so it's hard for me to run comfortably. Mm -hmm. But when I cycle, I can do all that stuff. Oh, it doesn't affect it. It doesn't affect it. See, when I run, I do a stomach bounce. It's inadvertent. <laughs> it just bounces up and down, and that's why I run about four steps and say, oh, that was good for today. <laughs> but uh, And tomorrow you'll do five, right? Tomorrow I'll do five. Sure, why not? Get that bounce going. It'll be good. Good goal setting. Yes. <laughs> so so I, I know less than nothing about Tourette's other than what you've told me, really. I just, I've, I've never really looked into it. I was unaware that it could go undiagnosed that long. And I was unaware that it could get worse. The one thing I did know, I had heard that there are people who that the ticks and everything go away. Do you are you aware when you like, for example, when you yell hey, is it something you're aware of right afterward? Yes. Okay. I can I can generally feel it coming on. Yeah. 
Like and a sneeze? Yes. Really? Yes. Huh. Fascinating, Russ. This is so and interesting. If you think about, or if you want a good comparison with Tourette's yeah. and ticks, look at me and don't blink your eyes. How long can you last not blinking your eyes? Yeah, no, now I'm dying to blink my eyes. It's We're actually un- doing this, folks. It's I'm un- actually staring. It's uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable. It's so unnatural. Now I'm dying to blink because I'm aware of it. Yep. And oh, it feels better. Eventually you have to do so it. So it's almost like a relief to get it out. It is a relief. Interesting. So very much so. Could you modulate it so that you can do a James Brown hay? Because that would be <laughs> awesome. That would be good. <laughs> if you could figure out how to make it be a James Brown type hey every time, I think that would be really cool. Does it happen, um, like, are there certain situations where it happens less? For example, I know um, I know a comedian who has a stuttering issue, but when he's on stage, it happens far, far less for some reason, and he doesn't know why, but he just doesn't stutter as much when he's on stage, and then he gets off stage, and he stutters a lot more. Is it is it something you've noticed that there are certain situations where it's more active or less? It's more active with stress for me. Oh, wow. Okay. When I'm on stage, I still tick once in a while. I've taught at the university level for over 10 years. Mm. And it's been interesting. And some of this, we see things and we don't know, so we focus on them. If we know, we don't focus on it. Because I've gotten up the first day of class and said, class, I have Tourette's, and this is what it is, what have you. And and the class, people go, never noticed it. I'm thinking I did. But the times that I didn't announce it and talk about it, be two or three weeks in, it's like, oh, I need need to say something. Yeah, I'll say something. I've had students come up after class and go, thank you for letting me know, because – I was trying to figure out what was going on. I was having a hard time concentrating on the lecture yeah, because of your tics. Mm. Russ, that is just fascinating. I could ask you a million questions just about the Tourette's component. Once you found out you were diagnosed, I mean, once you were diagnosed, did you take a lot of time to study it and get deep into it and learn about it? Yes, I did. Mm. I did. In fact, the doctor handed me a chapter from a book that he photocopied and said, here you go. You're studying psychology, you'll understand this. Hmm. And so I was able to read and make some decisions. Ah, Russ, that is so cool. Really neat. Well, let's go back to you being a kid, and we might talk a little bit more about Tourette's after, because Russ, you're such an impressive, fascinating guy. I just have have 50 questions swimming around (laughs) my head right now. That is from something that we like to call ADD, which I have been (laughs) diagnosed with. (laughs) Well, what's interesting about Tourette's is we always focus on the ticks. Mm-hmm. That's all Tourette's is, right? Well, that's what I thought. I thought it was just the ticks. Well, let's add possibility of OCD, anxiety, oh, depression, um, executive dysfunction, ADHD, uh, tactile dysfunction. Um, there's about 10 of them that, that really yeah. go with it. Wow, Russ, that's amazing. I, I had no idea that that there was increase in all of that. So yes. as a kid, as a as a kid, did you struggle with some of those things when you were younger? Did it did when when you were diagnosed, did you kind of go, Oh, okay, now this all makes sense? Were you able to piece it back together? Yes, and it was kind of relieving. Yeah, I, bet. I was able to go, Okay, now yeah. I understand a little more. How were you as a student when you were younger? <laughs> Sounds like that's a good question. (laughs) I had, let's see, I think the lowest GPA I had was a 0.67 Yes. Yeah. And so at the end of my 11th grade year, it wasn't going to happen. You weren't going to graduate. I wasn't going to graduate. Where'd you go to high school? Pioneer. Pioneer, yeah. And so I decided to... Drop out Pioneer, mm-hmm. and I went to adult education. Adult education. So you didn't go to Broadway. You didn't go to the continuing school. No, I went. I went to adult ed. Mm, okay, and finished up there with no problems, and then left on my mission. Came home, tried to play 
college student. Yeah. But I wasn't very good even playing college student. Yeah. And so I said, I forget it all. Mm. But then once I got married, I had a program thought that says everyone who gets married has a degree. Interesting. And so I thought, well, I better go do something. And so I decided to go to West Valley Junior College. Sure. And got my associate's degree in administration of justice. I figured I can be a police officer and maybe go canine. So so you made that transition, obviously it agreed with you. One thing I don't think I've ever said on this show, which is which would be congratulations, you finished six months more of high school than I did. (laughs) (laughs) I actually dropped out a couple months into my junior year and then went on a mission. When I came back, I went, actually, before my mission, I went to West Valley. Okay. uh, And uh, it didn't work for me at all. Went on a mission, was a fairly successful missionary, but when I came home, I thought, well, now I'm ready to be a student. I went back to school for one semester and said, no, this will never happen. So I've never gone back, and I've been very blessed to have an amazing career, that notwithstanding. But what what do you think was the difference for you? Because I get asked a lot of times from parents who know that I've dropped out uh-huh. and have been able to put together a career and whatnot. Um, like, what what was the difference? Because parent, other parents, like in our ward or neighborhood, will say we're worried about our kid. He, here's what he's going through. He wants to step away from school. But you you were able to come back. I don't see that a lot. What was the difference between adult ed and, and high school for you? The difference, well, I was able to, I only had to take a handful of classes at adult ed. I didn't have to take the driver's ed or the PE or mm. all these other things. Okay. I had to just take some basics and be able to, to finish up and be done. Gotcha. Um, math, psychology. That's where I fell in love with psychology. Mm. That's where I fell in love with political science yeah, and, and some other, other classes. So, so going back a little bit, because I don't want to skim over this, you got to serve in one of the coolest missions in the church. I agree. I think it is unbelievably cool. Tell us where you served your mission. Utah, Salt Lake City North. Yeah. How was that when you opened your mission call? Were you super excited about it or were you excited once you got there? It was interesting because before I got my mission call, I had a dream. And in the dream, I was tracting across the street from BYU. Awesome. And I just thought, well, the MTC's in Provo. So, you know, that's that's where that comes from. Mm. And maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But when I opened the call, Utah Salt Lake say North, I guess I had a sense of peace and I was fine with it. Other people weren't. Really? I'd go tell people and they'd go, I had one person tell me, who would want to go to Utah on their mission? Oh, come and on. I, I looked there and said, I would. That drives me nuts. I hate you know, hearing like, that. And there's like, back then there was Temple Square, Utah North, and Utah South. And now there's like eight or nine missions. So you were Utah, Utah North. So basically north of Temple Square all the way up to the border? Or how far did that go? About Jordan River. Oh, wow. North, so about 4,500 south. Yeah. North into Wyoming and Idaho. <laughs> That's a big mission. I served in Idaho. I yeah. served in Preston, Idaho. Yeah. I served in Rock Springs, Wyoming. And served um, in all over Utah. Ah, oh, that's great. It was great. Loved it. By the way, one of my favorite comedy clubs is in Rock Springs, Wyoming. There's a place called Johnny Max up in uh, uh, Rock Springs, but there's not uh, much up in Rock Springs. Well, it's going. not even a comedy club; it's a bar that does a comedy show once uh. once a week. But I've had some good times up there. Um, so, have you ever talked to Clint Pulver about your mission? You know, Clint served in Boise. We had a whole discussion about that. Yes, I, I listened to that on yeah. on previous. In fact, I saw Clint last night. Oh, yeah. And we were talking about me coming on. And we've never really talked about our missions. Yeah. Yeah, but, it was fun to hear his story. You know what's interesting is, is, you know, everybody ends up at that place where they own their mission. Or most people, I should say, end up, you know, I didn't want to go to South America and I didn't want to speak Spanish. I got called to Chile. You know, I mean, everybody. And I was so disappointed. I was just... Now I look back and go, nowhere else in the world. It was the yeah. greatest mission on earth. 
But well, I also, second to Utah Salt Lake City North. <laughs> see, that's how we all are. <laughs> um, but I, I think though that that we do a disservice sometimes, uh, saying things like like who would want to serve in in Salt Lake. And last week, in fact, my guest uh, or a few weeks back, Brian Blake was talking about New Zealand and how people would say, "Oh, you're just going on vacation." <laughs> what a terrible thing to say to a young man. Yes, you know. I mean, there's enough insecurity out there, and of course, my parents. I mentioned. Uh, served in Hawaii, and mm-hmm. the number of people that say, "Oh, they were on a vacation," and just diminishes the work. I think you know yes. every mission is special, and the people that are there. So, well, it's fascinating because at the time, Utah Salt Lake City North was the second highest English speaking baptizing mission in the world. Was it really? It was second to Salt Lake City South. <laughs> we would have roughly. That's amazing. We'd have about 2,100 baptisms a year. Oh, my gosh. And Salt Lake City South had more. So and, so we, everybody tells me how crazy Chile is. We would get like 300 uh, a month, and we thought we were the stuff. And Santiago would get like 400, and we'd have an inferiority complex. <laughs> You're getting over 2,000 baptisms. We were. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, people always ask, well, were they just... Nine-year-olds? Yeah. Well, we did have some of those, but they were also families and individuals yeah. and adults and all ages. It's so it's so interesting, you know. Um, one thing for our listeners to know, you know, Russ knows my brother Todd, and Todd served in Korea. Yes. And, uh, you know, Todd, uh, he'd talk about, like, the one the one baptism, <laughs> and the, you know, and how, oh, we'd get letters. Oh, this month we, we got somebody who would listen to two discussions, and it's like the greatest thing in the world. Yep. I think we're really built for the missions we get called to. You know, I we're th- designed for it. I think so. And, and one of the interesting things is I had double knee surgery right before I went on my mission. Oh, my. And so made it easy coming to Salt Lake. Yeah. Yeah. Had you spent time in Utah before? Minimal. Yeah. Dropping my brother off at BYU. Mm. Yeah. Did you ever do one of the big uh, oh. San Jose South State yes. Youth Conferences? Yeah. Two of here? them, I think. Yeah. Two of them? Two yeah. of them. Yeah. yeah. I have fond memories of that. Yeah. As do I. As do I. Uh, Those are good times. <laughs> yes. So you come home from your mission. You go back to San Jose, yep. which I did not. My parents moved while I was on my mission. Thanks again, mom and dad. That was awesome. <laughs> um, well, side note, I had a companion who came on his mission from Southern California. And he was so gung-ho about Southern California, nothing better, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he went home to his parents in Minnesota. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of humbling there. That's awesome. But then you learn Minnesota's pretty freaking amazing. But yeah, sometimes people get hung up in Southern California. My office is in Southern California. Occasionally, some people get a little hung up on on that place. So, yeah, but you went back to San Jose. I did. And that's when you said you went back to school. Well, I dabbled yeah. in school, tried doing some entrepreneurship stuff yeah, and went to school on the side. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, nah, I'm done with that. Yeah. Uh, but once I got married, I didn't get married till I was 25. Yeah. How did you meet your wife? At a young adult dance. Hey, it's old school. Now, for our younger listeners, before you were able to swipe right, swipe left, <laughs> before you had just apps and and uh, tons of options at your fingertips, we used to have to go to dances. <laughs> and the funny thing about that is, a friend of mine and I were going to hang out, and he said, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. I said, I want to do anything except go to a dance. Hmm. I don't want to go to the New Year's Eve dance. I'm just done with that for now. And he called me that evening. We were talking. It's like, well, I don't know what to do. I said, yeah, let's just go to the dance. Yeah. And I said, I'll pick you up in half hour, whatever it was. And we went, met my wife. We didn't really even say much to each other. We danced about half of a song, and that was that was it. Uh, I was thinking, wow, I wish I would have been able to talk to her more. The following Sunday, I saw her in our ward. 
in our singles ward. No kidding. But I saw her running across the <laughs> the foyer and out the door because she served a mission to the hearing impaired. Oh, how cool. And she was running to another ward to interpret for them. I was like, oh, man, I missed her. You missed that opportunity. And so the following Sunday, my friend and I were walking in the chapel, and we I saw her sitting up in the pews. And so I was following him, and we both agreed that we were going to go sit up there. And as we rounded the corner, I just stepped right in front of him, because I knew if I was in front of him, I'd get to sit You'd next get to-, to her. <laughs> Beautiful planning. Sat next to her. That evening, we went to a fireside, and we saw each other or talked to each other every day. Wow. Until we got engaged 20-some-odd days later. And then how long have you been married now? We're 25 and a half years right now. 25 and a half. Where was that uh, New Year's Eve dance? Morgan Hill. Oh, Morgan Hill. Okay, so the big... If you grew up in San Jose, they'd always have the big mega steak dances. Yep. But do you remember the steak dances that they used to have when they'd like rent out the mall, like Oak Ridge oh, Mall? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh. it was a big deal. My parents were in charge of those one one of the years. They'd wow. have a they'd rent out an entire. I've never heard of it since then, but they would they'd close all the stores in the mall, right? But they just rented out as a space, and at one end of the mall was a like a country swing band or something. In the other the end was a rock and roll or something. There were three bands. Oh, were there three bands? One was for the youth. Mm. The other end was for the adults. Yeah. And in the middle was just kind of a mix of fam- for families. That was huge. I mean, that was a big, big oh, yeah. deal. The band, I remember one of the bands came and stayed with us. And I was, I was, I'm a bit younger than you are. And I remember I was... Just, um, I was just thrilled because my parents brought home donut holes that were left over. I was too young to go to the dance, <laughs> but man, New Year's Eve meant free donut holes. So I was in, that was great by me. Yeah. We, I think we did that two years running. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. It was I was blast. just, just a bit too young for those, but yeah, we always, that's what we did on New Year's Eve. We went to the church dance. We always did the same thing you did, which was, yeah, let's go do something else. And then you end up at the church dance. But that right. sounds like it worked out for you guys. So, But back when you and I were growing up, the church dances during the month, we knew which weekend as a youth, this wasn't as a young adult, but as a youth, which weekend, which stakes were oh, having yeah. which dance, and you would go there. We'd go to Santa Cruz, and uh-huh. we'd go to Morgan Hill. Morgan Hill Cupertino. and those were the best ones. But yeah, Cupertino, yeah. we'd do all those. Yeah, that was a great time hanging out. Uh, I was a chaperone with my wife at a dance last year, I think. And was surprised they don't have to wear ties anymore. Remember, we used to almost always have to wear a tie, and we had to have dance cards. Yep. White shirt, tie, yeah. dresses. And we'd have to show card. our dance card that the bishop authorized us. So we'd <laughs> yep. go to another ward, and they don't, they've done away with all of that. That was our ticket in. This is a, a much more choice generation, I guess. So you guys get married. Did you stay? How long did you stay in the Bay Area? One year. One year. That was all. That was it, because... We wanted to buy a home, settle down. Mm. So we moved out here, lived in an apartment for a year while we built our home. Awesome. And after I got my associate's degree in San Jose, Mm -hmm. then we moved here and I went to the University of Utah. And I thought, you know, for two more years, I could have a bachelor's degree. Wow. And so I thought, okay, let's do it. And I got my degree in psychology. Were you commuting up there then? I was living in West Valley. Oh, okay. So you weren't too far no, from it. Yeah. It wasn't. And we lived in that home for a number of years. Cool. Because after I got my bachelor's degree, I was I decided, well, you know, for two more years I could have a master's degree. Just two more years. You've got that in you. You've got that drive. I've I've gained it. Yeah. I've gained it. And, it, you know, not all of them were two years, but in my mind it was two years. But we were living living there. And then I thought, well, two more years I could have a doctorate degree. And my wife and I talked about it, and we thought, well, let's wait a year or two. 
yeah. get settled in this career and then move on. And my wife called me at work and I remember the, the phone call and the conversation. It was like, if we're going to do it, we got to do it now. Wow. And I said, okay. Yeah. Made a couple phone calls and the deadline had passed by a day. Oh no. But I talked to the admissions director and he said, tell you what, get your stuff in by tomorrow and I'll consider it. Nice. They considered it, went out there to interview in Missouri and we moved in July when my baby girl hmm. was two weeks old. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> so where did you live then? We lived in Springfield, Missouri. Amazing. And loved it. Yeah. Beautiful area. Yeah, that is. It's a pretty, pretty area. After that, and we sold our home here because... Sure. I'm not going to go back to Utah. <laughs> we'll get a residency somewhere fun and, and So, So run on. us through now all the degrees that you have. I have an associate's in administration of justice, a bachelor's in psychology, a master's in mental health counseling, a postmaster's in marriage and family therapy, a doctorate in clinical psychology, and two postdoctorate certificates in conflict resolution. All this from the high school dropout. Yes. Which just shows you, I mean, you know, you can do this. You yes. can, oh. And I'm not saying any of it was easy. No, of course it not. Was no, my, hard. my wife is working on her doctorate right now. Oh, cool. And I'm, and, uh, she's an occupational therapist and, and I'm just watching it all. And it's just, it blows me away. I mean, it absolutely. It's incredible. That is a really like impressive resume of, of education, Russ. Like that's really impressive. Do people ever get nervous around you with what they say about themselves? Worried that you're going to psychoanalyze them? Yes. <laughs> that happens a lot. Yes. And if you're worried, you're not paying me. I'm not analyzing. <laughs> Yeah, that's like people people come up to me and say, "Hey, say something funny." Go, no, write write me write me a check first. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's really funny. It's got to be interesting for your wife though, like thinking because you guys are together all the time. Has she ever has she ever said, "Don't analyze me"? No. Has that ever come up? No. Good. No, and I never have. That's because you're such a good guy, Russ. See, that's the thing. You're the right guy to have all these degrees. I think somebody <laughs> with without your personality would would probably struggle with all that knowledge and power. I think that'd be difficult. Huh. So you guys power. lived in... I never thought of it that it way. It is no. power. <laughs> so you guys lived in, in Missouri for... About two years. About two years. And then, and then another, the call of the West. Well, residencies for psychology are similar to re medical residencies. Mm -hmm. You apply all over the place. You put in where you want to go. It goes into a computer and spits out if there's a match between you and the place. If they chose you and you chose them. And if it doesn't work out, then you just start making phone calls the Monday after and you find one that's open. Yeah. And I was chosen to be here in Utah. So we came back happily. Did you think it was just going to be a quick... Like, I'm going to do my residency here, then we'll figure out where we want to go? Or did you think, okay, much like Brigham Young, this is the place and <laughs> we're here? We're here for the residency and then we'll talk about it. Yeah. We we moved here for a six-month internship. And in <laughs> fact, you being a, a Bay Area kid, we put all of our stuff in storage in Walnut Creek. And we were going to move back to Walnut Creek and six-month internship for my wife ended and... uh and then they said, would you like a job? And she said, just one year. We'll stay here one year. And I think it was uh, two and a half years in that I drove out to California and cleared out our storage unit. And we've been here ever since. So, Yep. And that's yeah. kind of where we've been. We've been here ever, yeah. ever since. So once you, once you got done with all your residency, is that when you went into private practice? Not right away, but pretty close. Yeah. Within a year or two, I went into private practice and and my partner and I opened up we had five offices throughout mm. Utah and San Pete County incredible and just had a lot of fun with it yeah what are your areas of specialty i being a mental health counselor i mm. can do any any of that general stuff but i really enjoy working with couples 
Yeah. And I work with a lot of pornography issues yeah. as well. How prevalent is pornography? It's pretty prevalent. Yeah. It, it really is. Mm. And it's it's a hard one. Yeah. It's difficult. But it's unfortunately starts, a lot of people start young. I, I can't imagine, you know, being a kid right now. <sighs> Just how, I mean, you know, we've talked about this, you know, when we talk, obviously, you know, we've talked to our kids and I work, you know, in young men's, uh, in our ward. And we, we talk about how, if, you know, if you were going to see pornography when you and I were growing up, it was because some kid had found his dad's magazine, yep. had torn out a page, had brought it to school and the entire school knew about it. And more than likely before you saw it, the principal found out and, and caught it. And now you've got kids walking all over and, you know, we lock down our kids' phones. We lock down devices. We have, you know, the internet totally monitored here. Yeah. But we know, we know, I mean, we're not, you know, we're not naive enough to think that there's not a kid at school who's got a phone who's, it's not locked down. You're right. And so I think it does. It starts really, really early. I've been impressed with what the church has done with regards to pornography. The 12-step program, it's really interesting how many meetings, mm-hmm. you know, and they really only have two categories. There's general and pornography and pornography. Yep. And that's it. Yep. And I mean, if, if you want to know how prevalent it is, that tells you everything, right? What's well, interesting about the 12 steps. I encourage everybody addiction or no addiction to go through that. The addiction recovery manual hmm. from the church. If you look at the 12 steps, whether it's the one, the church ones or the AA ones, because there's only a couple things that are, are different about them, yeah. all you have to do is take out two or three words, and it no longer refers to addiction, but refers to every life on this earth. And really, the 12 steps is just a, atonement. Hmm. Beautiful. You know? And the, the 12 step program is available on lds.org or on the app. I mean, it's available to everybody. Yes. And the meetings are available to everybody. I they mean, are. you know, anyone, they even have call-in meetings. Yeah. Yeah. They've got all kinds, but yeah, pornography is definitely a big issue and it's destroying a lot of families. What's been encouraging to me lately is there are a lot of people who are coming out of the shadows mm-hmm. and saying, I was addicted to pornography and here's our story, and here's what it did to our marriage, and here's how we got through it. And I think that when we take some of that shame and guilt out of it... Makes it easier. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, you sit and you listen to what these couples have been through. I think it's just really strengthening. It is. So uh, I want to get to talking. I've got a few questions that are clinical that I want to ask. Um but uh, let's talk a little bit about your family. Tell me about your kids. I have three wonderful children. Awesome. My... How many not wonderful? No, I'm kidding. Let's see. No. Three, three wonderful <laughs> children. That's awesome. Yep. I have my daughter who is married and has blessed us with two grandchildren. Grandpa Russ. Do you That's go by right. grandpa, granddad? Grandpa. Just grandpa. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Yep. And my son is graduated high school. And is figuring life out. Mm-hmm. And then my youngest is a junior right now. Incredible. So you you can see that empty nest sitting out there in front of you. It's there. It is. Yeah. It what is. an exciting time in life. Some days it's like, wow, that'll be so fun. And other days it's like, I'm going to miss my kids. Yeah. yeah. I go through the same thing. But yeah. my, my daughter just lives about 20 minutes from us. So we see them all the time. And get to play with the grandkid. Oh, yes. A lot. Oh, yes. Get to spoil him. That's, That's fantastic. Right. So you do, uh, before we get into the clinical stuff, you also do a lot of speaking. Tell us about that. Yes, I do do speaking. I, With my certificates in conflict resolution, I have developed some programs to go into companies to help them learn how to resolve conflict more effectively. Boy, there are a lot of companies that could use that. <laughs> I've well, worked we, for some of them. We spend companies spend so much money on having their employees resolve unnecessary conflict. And you can save pay obviously depending on the size of the company, 
you know, millions of dollars a year just by learning and teaching your your employees how to do that. Yeah. And so I do anywhere from a one hour keynote speech on either conquering adversity or conflict resolution to going into a company and partnering with them for anywhere from a day to several months to help them learn how to to do that. Tremendous. And I, I really that's the work I really enjoy. Yeah. You're very involved in the speaking organizations too. Yes. National Speakers Association. Yeah. And and that's when we, we mentioned Clint Pulver earlier. He's very involved in that. And Jason Hewlett, who's also been on the show. You guys yes. are always at, at all those meetings. That's neat stuff. Yep. Yeah. Yep. They're great people. I love them both. And you've done some writing. I have a book in front of me that I'm excited to read. It's Playing 20 Questions with Your Fiancé. How did this come about? Well, the book just asks 20 basic questions that every couple I feel needs to ask. Yeah. But they don't. Mm. Because it talks about expectations in marriage. It talks about sex drive. It talks about addictions. It talks about who's going to take care of the finances. These are difficult things to talk about with a fiance. I think maybe I've been married a long time. I don't remember, but I imagine it is. I've been married a long time as well, but it's important, right? It is. And the, but the chapters are short, four or five pages, discuss the question and Mm. move on to the next chapter. Yeah. You know, because women are great at wanting to ask questions and listen, men, not so much. (laughs) <laughs> so I've made the I gotta say that's that's really true <laughs> I've made the chapters short enough that you can read it on the way to dinner discuss it over dinner and you've worked some things out and it's called playing 20 questions with your fiance if people wanted to get a hold of this book how do they get a hold of it Amazon or they can contact me directly yeah so that we don't forget what is the best way for people to find you Online, online, online yeah. at com. Dr. Russ, is it D-O-C-T-O-R-D-R? It's D-R-R-U-S-S-S-P-E-A-K-S. Yes, drrussspeaks.com. And by email, drrus at gmail.com. Dr. Russ, D-R-Russ at gmail.com. Dr. Russ Speaks. Oh, sorry, Dr. Russ yes. Speaks at gmail.com. Yes. So it's the full thing. Yes. Okay. Fantastic. I think and, that if if I had, if my wife and I, because we had some difficult and open discussions before mm-hmm. we got married, I think that if the question had come up, what temperature do you like the room when you sleep, we would not have gotten married. That is the single biggest source of conflict in our marriage. I'm glad I didn't put that in the book. I'm glad you didn't either, because I like it to be a brisk uh, 66 to 67 degrees. <laughs> She's a big fan of the 72 to 73. So oh, I'm right there with her. B- between <laughs> between a lot of blankets and a, a lot of compromise, we've, we've somehow made it through, though. Yep. I'm working on another book, Playing 20 Questions with Your Spouse, Keeping your, the Flame Alive. Awesome. For, you know, people like us who've been married for a while. Yeah. That we want to keep that flame alive, specifically when we become empty nesters. Yeah. And so really figuring some things out financially and and just working things out. Continue that. Because my opinion is people say that a lot of these money or things like that is what breaks up marriages. And I disagree. Hmm. It's the way we communicate about those. Interesting. So it comes down to communication, and this book just helps spark that communication. Kind of gives you a jumping off point. It does. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I I don't know. when I, My wife and I always wonder, once the kids have moved out, what will we ever talk about? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll go on vacation together, and the first two days, it's nothing but about the kids. And then all of a sudden, we go, oh, that's right. I married you at one point. That's right. We wanted to be together, the two of us, That's before right. kids. That's what, right. Uh, what is, just quick nutshell, what's, what's the best advice you have for couples? Like if you had that one golden nugget with all this studying and all the years of counseling you've done, what's, what's a good nugget for, for uh, married couples? Learn how to communicate with each other. Mm. 
we always hear all these little tricks and tips and things like one that you and I were talking about, never go to bed angry. Yeah, that's the worst advice. Worst advice. I agree. Sometimes you just need to sleep it off. Yeah. Other times you start a discussion. My rule of thumb is don't start a potentially contentious discussion after the time you normally would want to go to bed. Gosh, that is so wise, Russ. Because if you start after that, you're going to be up half the night arguing, and the more tired you get, the more you are not thinking rationally. So you start arguing more. And then then you bring up old stuff that you didn't even care about. And then you still have to get up in the morning and go to work. It's amazing the next morning how different your whole perspective is. It is. So I've I've often woken up and thought, boy, I'm glad I didn't say what I was thinking last night. (laughs) You and me both. Darn good thing. (laughs) And that's why I'm still married. That's right. Actually, the secret to our marriage has been that uh, I'm out of town three to four days a week. (laughs) By the time time we start getting bugged by each other, I'm on an airplane anyway. So (laughs) that works out okay. Now we are heading into, uh, it's January now um, as of this airing. And uh, so people always think of a new year as a new opportunity. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to save money. I'm, I'm going to not drink caffeine. And then three days later, well, there actually, they are. There, there is a true statistic for that. Oh, really? Research shows that approximately 85% of all New Year's resolutions end by, I believe it's like February 20th. Oh, my we're not doing well, but we don't give up. We keep trying these New Year's resolutions. Well, there's a reason, in my opinion, there's a reason for it. Yeah. We always set these goals that people tell us we need to set, yeah. exercise more, eat mm, healthier, yeah. do this, do that. And so we set the goals. But why do we set the goals? That's why we don't succeed. Yeah, and I have no answer to that. It's, it's interesting. I don't think I've ever asked myself that behind a goal. Well, we always talk about smart goals, right? Be yeah. specific, measurable, attainable, um, yeah, et cetera. But I've changed that to smarty. Smarty. Yes. Because all that stuff's important, but the why at the end is what seals it up. Mm. So Interesting. as you set your goals this year, set what you want to do and how you're going to do it, but then add another section why do I want to accomplish this goal? Huh. And if I can figure out why I want to fin- accomplish it, that's what will keep me motivated. So focus more on the why yes. than the what. Yes. Oh. See, and I've never, I don't think I've ever heard that. So adding that extra, that extra step. Any other thoughts for people who are thinking this year, hey, I want to really accomplish something? Because that's a big part of what you do. It's helping people overcome their own obstacles, their own barriers. Any other, I mean, you know, we don't have a long session, but uh, any other great advice for people? Find somebody to support you in it, whether it's a coach, whether it's a friend, Mm. coworker. To support you. So how important is accountability? It's very important. Yeah. Very important. I I do do I do do therapy, but I also do coaching, executive and business coaching and, and personal coaching. And I see so much more progress being made when we're talking on a regular basis saying, What have you accomplished? What are your goals this week? What are you going to to do? And sometimes they walk in and before I even say hello, they say, I didn't get it done. Yeah. And I'm not so interest, much interested into why didn't you get it done. Well, the fact they didn't get it done is they didn't get it done. Right. And then we can start examining. If it's two or three weeks, I ask them, is that really something that you really want to do? And more times than not, it's like, well, no, not really. So yeah. okay, then ditch the goal. And let's figure out what you really want to accomplish. Yeah, I think I've had a lot of quote goals in life uh-huh. that if I'm really honest with myself, and I'll even write them down, create a goal, whatever. But if I'm really honest with myself, I want that thing, 
I really don't want to do what I know it's going to take to get it done. Mm-hmm. How can people really figure out if a goal is realistic? Share it with somebody else and see what they say. A fresh pair of eyes, somebody that's not invested in that goal mm. to determine, hey, is this really realistic? Yeah. I've set some goals and I keep setting like one I've set for the last couple years. And I think, yeah, someday I'll do that, but I'm not invested enough right now mm, right. to do it. So maybe it's more of a someday. So a Clint, bucket list. Clint Pulver's big on the bucket list. Uh-huh. And he kind of got me turned on to the bucket list because I have seen miracles through him. Everything he's done in his life is like, well, I just put it on this list and magically it just freaking happened. It's It's a very <laughs> funny thing. But I think that there are, I think there's something right. I think you have to really find that right person who will be honest with you. I think that's yeah. part part of the big trick because unfortunately we have friends who we go, hey man, uh, I think I want to do a triathlon in three months. And we have friends who go, yeah, go for it. We need mm-hmm. that guy who goes, yeah, no, dude, you don't stand a chance. <laughs> Let's get real with yourself. Yep. I'm fortunate that I have a wife who's very, very, very honest with me about that stuff. So that's good. So has that been on your bucket list to do a triathlon? No. No. <laughs> no, far from it. I once watched a triathlon. That was exciting. We went but, to Kona. We watched the Iron Man on Kona. Yeah, that, that took oh, care wow. of all of my triathlon <laughs> desires. So <laughs> I do believe in bucket lists. I yeah. love bucket lists. It was. It's interesting because I'd look at my bucket list like once a year, and I'd be amazed at how many things I would click off that yeah. I've done. Awesome. And you know, some of the things that I didn't even remember was on my bucket list, but be write a book. Yeah. Be on TV. Be on the radio. You know, things like that that you think, oh yeah, how am I going to do that? But I've accomplished them all. That's awesome. And I'm, I am much, I have a hard time with bucket lists. I was telling Clint this, I am much more a guy who just decides today, Hey, I'd like to try this. And I start doing it because my, I don't know, I'm bad at lists back to the ADD. I'm really bad at lists. (laughs) Well, try this, just write down a bunch of things that you'd like to do a bucket list and then put it on the shelf for six months. I, I did that after Clint's episode. And what I noticed was I was very keen to look at it. And now I don't remember half of them. And in fact, Clint sent me a message when Clint and I were texting back and forth. And he said, tell me some of the things on your bucket list. And uh, I remembered that I want to go to all the Disney parks in the world. Okay. That's the only thing I could remember <laughs> from the bucket list. But then I have a lot of other things that are big mm-hmm. that I just kind of jump into. I just go, eh, I think I'll try that. Like have a podcast. I woke up a Saturday morning, went and bought a bunch of stuff and started a podcast <laughs> that week. But but again, I think that's back to the ADD. I, you know, it's hard to focus. So I, I like I like your strategy a lot, and I think I need to go back to that because it's more balanced, right? Yeah, yeah. My wife is so good at setting goals. I mean, she just she's very good at saying, "Here's what I'm going to do," and then she just does it. You know, she's fantastic about that. So. Well, Russ, this has just been awesome, and, and I think there's some really valuable stuff. Again, if people want to get a hold of you, it's drrussspeaks.com and then drrussspeaks at gmail.com. Yes. Yeah, that is just awesome. And there you have some videos and things there that it is well worth people looking. You're really inspiring. I've got to say, you know, when, when you look back at what you went through, first of all, with your legs, and then dealing with Tourette's, I think that there are a lot of people... Um, who look at adversity in their lives and just go, well, I'm going to let that define me. You know, hey, you can't blame me because I have this that's happened to me. And, 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 and you have not. And I think that that's so, I hope that our, I know our listeners are inspired by that. I always tell my children, uh, you know, we love you, God loves you, and no one owes you anything. Right. I agree. But you know, just think about this. The, we we always let, like you said, events, things that happen to us define us. Yeah. But the events that happen to me are not who I am. I choose who I become, not because of my past, but in spite of it. Very interesting. Huh. From a gospel point of view, 
Boy, that's everything, right? Yes. I mean, Nephi and Sam were raised in the same home or tent, as it were, or boat, <laughs> as Laman and Lemuel. You're right. They had the same circumstances. And we, we, we had a child that was going through a rough time at one point. And, uh, you know, we had, with some of our kids who have had some real struggles, we were afraid of how it was affecting one of our kids. And I said to my wife, I said, my only encouragement is that Nephi became Nephi, even though he grew up with Laman and Lemuel. And my wife said, you know, maybe he became Nephi because he grew up with Laman and Lemuel. And I think that there is an opportunity for each of us with whatever struggles we face, and Tourette's is certainly a major, major one, to say, okay, I'm going to let it define me and I'm going to make excuses for my life because of it, or forget that, I'm going to be Dr. Russ Gady. I'm going to have the degrees. I'm going to counsel. I'm going to make the world a better place. And that's what you do, Russ. And I think it's really impressive. And thank I'm you. so glad you came on to talk to us about it. Well, thank you for having me. We're going to close with uh, the same question that we ask all of our guests at the end of our episode. And it can be however big or small you decide. There's no real right answer. It doesn't have to be all encompassing. But uh, what does being a member of the church mean to you? And what do you love about being a member of the church? In a simple word, peace. Oh, how peace I love that. and direction. You know, we have so much going on in life that we often forget to recognize the peace that the mm. Lord gives us. Yeah. Whether it's just going to the temple, whether it's even just sitting in the chapel, finding that quiet space within your home. Mm and pondering what the Lord has done for us. It, it just brings a peace and a direction to life, a purpose. Mm. Because I know that I'm in the direction the Lord wants me to. I, there have been so many things that have led me to where I am today Yeah, that some of them I go, that's weird. <laughs> and then a week later, I was like, oh, yeah. That's why. For instance, with my mediation certificates, I had a doctorate degree. I had a clinic that I was running. I don't need any more education. But I received an email about this program up at the U on mediation. And I thought, eh, I'm too busy. I guess marked unread. I don't know why I didn't just delete it. And two weeks later, some things changed in my business that my partner and I decided to go a different direction. Mm. And over the weekend, as I was deciding what to do and praying about it, that email came to mind. Mm. And it's like, huh. So I applied, was accepted, and now I'm able to help more people awesome. and, and more companies. And it's just little things like that that the Lord has dropped in my way. And I think he does that for each and every one of us. We just have to be in a place that we can understand, receive, and accept those little yeah. things that he drops in front of us. No doubt. Well, let me just give a full, uh, very hearty endorsement that if you are looking for someone for your company, that I would get a hold of Russ. Uh, again, Dr. Russ will do wonders for you if you are a couple looking for some uh, guidance, if you are looking for a great book, whatever it is, if any of this has struck a chord with you, reach out to uh, Russ, and he's just a phenomenal guy. And Russ, thank you so much for joining us today and happy new year happy new year to you and your family what a wonderful time huh thank you thank you for having me and make this year the best yet that's that's for all of you russ thanks so much thank you I certainly hope you enjoyed Dr. Russ Gaiety as much as I did. Russ is just an incredible guy. Isn't he amazing? I so thoroughly enjoyed getting to hang out with him and I'm grateful for his friendship. 
just a tremendous, tremendous man. Uh, this week in my Latter-day life, uh, as I mentioned last week, it was New Year's Eve last week, and, and uh, we were in New York. What an incredible experience to be in Manhattan for New Year's. Uh, I had several people ask when I said we were going to be in Times Square, you know, if we were crazy or whatever. We actually did. We booked tickets to a party uh, in Times Square at a restaurant, and so we were only outside in the bitter cold for a few minutes and then back in. The people who stay in Times Square all day, boy, my hat's off to them because that is crazy in my book, but a whole lot of people do it. We had a great time. When we first arrived in Manhattan, it was me and my wife, our 14-year-old son, and our our 15-year-old son, and it was so cold, record colds. Uh, They actually said that New Year's Eve was the coldest since 1915, so over 100 years, and with the wind chill, it was minus three. Oh, it was cold, but when we first got there, the, the evening we got there, we wanted to show our our sons just a little bit of Times Square. And so we walked out. If you've never been in Times Square, you've probably seen it on TV or in a movie. It is really overwhelming. I mean, there's just all the signs. And there are just tons of video signs and and signs for shows and advertising different stores that are there and brands and music and all kinds of things to grab your attention. And it really is incredible. And we walked out and we were just so darn cold. But uh, as we walked out, we looked up and there was a sign up above us that was white. And what was, it was a very stark sign. It was so different from the rest of the flashy, catch your eye, hey, look over here types of signs. And it was a simple sign. And there was a picture of uh, Mary and Joseph and of the baby Jesus. And in big, bright red letters, it said, light the world. Uh, 25 ways in 25 days start at mormon.org. And we stopped and my, when we, we, we looked at it and I knew it was there, but when we first looked up at it, my heart just started pounding because here in the middle of all these, go see this show and go wear this brand and Hey, you need this, you need that. Here was this beautiful, simple message. And it shone to me so bright. And I wondered if it was just me. I wondered if it was maybe, and it's massive, by the way, it's you, you can't miss it. But I wondered if it was just me because I am a Mormon (laughs) And, and I was so moved by it. So we decided to take a selfie in front of this, you know, and get it in the background. And as we were lining it up, I watched people walking by us and they saw us and they saw that we were trying to get something specific in the back. But almost every person that walked by us looked up at that sign and, and at least slowed down, if not stopped, to look and see what was this sign. And I think what made this sign stand out so much is the different message it had. And what I loved about it is it was so bright and so beautiful, even in the middle of all this noise. And isn't that just the Savior? Isn't that the gospel? Isn't that the essence of the gospel? We live in a noisy world. Our world is Times Square. It's a whole lot of people. They're all running around. Everybody's got a different agenda, a different message, a different something going on. And yet, if we really will allow him to have place, the Savior just shines so much brighter and more brilliantly and more simply. It was such a simple sign. And yet, there it was. And I'm so grateful for it. And, you know, this is my, uh, I don't know if I want to call it a resolution, but one of my goals certainly for 2018 is to simplify my life and to block out some of this noise and to get rid of all the things of the world that would try to grab my attention and focus on lighting the world, the things that are simple, the things that are bright, the things that are brilliant and focus on our savior. I'm so grateful for that sign. I know my friend John Dye and his team worked very hard on the whole campaign, and it was a wonderful way to end it, uh, seeing that right in the middle of Times Square. And that is what is going on in my Latter-day life this week. Uh, I want to thank you, as always, for listening. It just means the world to us, and it's it's just it's wonderful to see the numbers each week of of all of you faithful listeners. If you enjoy the show, 
If you could share it with somebody else, that would be great. The other thing that really helps us is whatever format you listen to it, whatever platform, whether it's on Apple or Android or Stitcher or SoundCloud, if you could leave us a five-star review, wow, that just means the world to us. What really that does is it helps other people to find our show more easily. Uh, if you want to email me, I can be reached sean at latterdaylives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at latterdaylives.com. And of course, we have all of the updates on the episodes at latterdaylives.com. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. If you just search Latterday Lives, you will certainly find us. And next Monday, we will be back with another great show. So until then, please remember, as always, there is a great, big, beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening.